Uh, we're going to be talking to, tonight about the incentive for effective prayer. The incentive for effective prayer. Notice those words. Uh, you know, we all want to pray effectively. None of us wants to pray and not see anything happen. But notice the word incentive. So what is an incentive? What does an incentive do? And it's encouragement, right? It encourages you. Now, what we're going to see tonight doesn't sound like an encouragement, uh, 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 the, the incentive to pray, but we're going to see in one parable several incentives. But those are at the end of the class time. Uh, so we're going to back up, though, and look at um, uh, the first one is the key to an effective prayer. We're going to just look at the key here for, for a few minutes. And uh, I, I hope your Bibles are open. Someone uh, last week asked, could we go in the gymnasium so we could have tables? But the teenagers are in the gym, so um, we, we're not able to do that. And when there was about a hundred of handful the first night. Looks like we're a little less than a hundred now. Um, and so there may come a time if, if enough people quit coming, we might go in a room. I hope not. I hope we have to stay in here. So I know it's difficult to write, keep up, read the paper. We've only got so much light in here, but um, I appreciate you coming. I appreciate you struggling through with that. But in John 14, 12 to 14, we find a key. And last week I talked about the meaning of prayer in Jesus' name. We're going to talk about the same thing tonight. But let's first look here at John 14. And uh, before we begin, of course, let's, let's pause to ask God's uh, help. Heavenly Father, you are the storehouse of all knowledge and wisdom, and uh, you've revealed yourself to us through your written word and, and made it alive for us through the written word, Jesus Christ, and in his authority and name, because he died on the cross and, and let us identify ourselves with him because of his life and death and resurrection, we also have lived and died and been risen with him to live a new life. And so, Father, in his authority, we ask that tonight you pour out um, wisdom on us and knowledge. Lord, uh, we need the knowledge, but we need to know how to apply it, obviously. So we acknowledge that before you, and I ask that you help us to do that in a very effective way, that we might pray and we might see you answer prayers to your glory. In the name of Jesus and in the power of the Holy Spirit, amen. Amen. As y'all are coming in, if y'all will shut the door, I appreciate all those four doors. Somebody help shut those doors. Um, Because we'll hear the kids all night if we don't. Um, Which I'm glad. I love to hear kids, but um, it might be a little distracting. Um, Verse 12 to 14. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do uh, do the works that I do. And greater works than these will he do because I am going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Now, what is the, what is the thing we are to do in those two verses? It's, it's obvious. I'm just, how do we pray? How do we believe? How do we ask? In his name, right. That's, that's the key there we're looking at. Can you come in? Somebody stand outside now. They don't know if they can come in or not. I think they're just waiting on their wife. Um, so the, the key there is in his name. Now, um, last week, I think we said 
And if we didn't, I'll say it now. And if I say it again in the future, that'll be all right too. We take everything that, that Christ is and has done and we approach the Father and we give that to the Father. That's how we come to Him. And so that's what praying in His name means. It doesn't mean magical words say in His name like hocus pocus poof and it happens. But we, because we are identified with Christ and we're going to go back over that a little bit. Y'all come on in. No, no problem. Um, because we're identified with Christ, we, can, we, can, we have the authority now in, because he told us to do it, to bring all that Jesus is. Because when we pray, if, if, if we're identified with the Father, when we pray before the Father, who is praying? Yeah, Jesus is. The Holy Spirit's interpreting for us, right? But we, we can... Um, I'm thinking of, uh, anybody ever known identical twins? I, I have a set of mirror twin cousins. I got a lot of cousins, by the way. And uh, I don't, when I say that, I'm not making stories up. Um, uh, but the, it was two, they're, they're uh, two girls, and they are mirror twins, which means one's right-handed, one's left-handed, and all this stuff. And one worked in Columbia, one in Charleston. Did I tell a story here? Okay, uh, and, and they were waitresses while they were going to school and college. And so I was in Columbia, South Carolina, was in Charleston. That's about 120 miles different. So the one in Charleston was serving a table of businessmen one day. And after the meal's kind of done and everything, she's bringing them the bill. The guy, one of the guys, the guy getting the bill said, I need you to settle something for me. He said, did you serve me yesterday in Columbia? <laughs> and she said, no, that was my sister, Cheryl. <laughs> um, so... Uh, so Laura and Cheryl, and, and uh, they're, they're mere twins, but um, it, it, if you didn't know, when they were babies, we couldn't tell them apart. I mean, they were so exact, but one had a mole on her back. So I had this crazy uncle from, uh, uh, from it was my grandmother's brother. He lived in Miami. He came up and stayed a month every year, and he called them the mole and the other one. So that was kind of what we know, they knew, were known as as babies. But uh, I don't have any point of that other than saying we're we're not the twin of Jesus, I understand, but when we pray, it's as if he's praying. Um, I, I, you've heard me talk about Trey, and Trey's father was a real strict man and very demanding, and when I was a teenager, of course, they didn't have cell phones. Uh, we didn't have to wind it up, but it was close, and um, one day, uh, he was at my house or something, or I, I think we were, just, uh, we were somewhere together, and Trey's little brother, four years younger than him, anybody got a little brother? Anybody is a little brother? I'm a little brother. So, yeah, we, 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 we annoy our older siblings. And so Bert comes up and goes, Trey, we got to go. And Trey says, get away from me, Bert. You know, I mean, we're guys. That's how guys talk when they're teenagers. He goes, come on, Trey, we got to go. He goes, get away. He said, Dad said. Okay, i got to go. And so then he left because if Dad said, that changed it. And Bert knew just telling him he had to go, he was never going to do it. But when he said, Dad said. We go to Father in the name of Jesus. And the father listens. You go, oh, well, you, it's as if Jesus is asking. Now, the Catholics mess that up. They you know, pray to a saint to pray to God for themselves. And, of course, there's only one prayer to a saint in the Bible. Uh, Jesus told us about it. There is one. Uh, and it was, it was the rich man in hell. And uh, he prayed to Abraham in paradise. And you notice where it originated, hell. You notice what it got him, Nothing. So the only example we have, what didn't work out so good, all right? So we pray to the Father in the name of Jesus. Now, by the way, and I haven't, I don't know why I'm going to tell you this now, but I still feel like I should, so I will. There is a doctrine that we as Baptists 
believe and covet. We hold on to very strongly. And it's known as the priesthood of the believer. And what that means is you don't have to come and ask me to pray for you to God. You can pray to God. Jesus taught that. And what we're talking about is going to the Father in the name of Christ. But I want to ask you a really important question. Look again at verse 12. And in there, he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do. Who is he? And what will he do? Right. The one who asks is the he. The one who is praying is the he. So the believer is he. And what will he do? Greater things. Greater works. So we have the opportunity to do greater things, Christ said, than he did. Now, Christ raised the dead. Christ fed 5,000 with some loaves and fish, right? Christ healed the sick. Can we do that and greater? Absolutely. We do it every day. Now, we don't do it in the same way Jesus did it. We build hospitals. In many mission places, we care for those who cannot care for themselves. You heard Ms. Laurie This morning, talking about Haiti and how bad it is. We go to places like that and we offer help and aid. We feed the hungry around the world. By the way, if there's ever a tragedy or situation or something, Southern Baptist is probably already working on that and you can help through Southern Baptist. I mean, you you can do it any way you want, but I'm just telling you, we, we usually have, it's already in place and already happening. And we can give and help in that. So we we feed hungry around the world. We We minister to people around the world. Huh? Well, we'll come to that. Do we raise the dead? There's my big question. Somebody ring the bell. All right. Amen. Ding, 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 ding. Absolutely. When we see people transferred from death to life in the name of Jesus, the testimony of Christ, we witness and, and they come. Is that what you were thinking, babe? Okay, she was, she was down here trying to give me a hint. She's afraid I wouldn't get there. Uh, okay, uh, she said, "No, I knew you would." Um, we we see people move, make that move from death to life. That is the transformation of the gospel, and we see their physical lives change. That's a spiritual thing, but we see their physical lives change because the uplift of the gospel. The gospel always helps us to to be uplifted. So we present all that Jesus is to the Father. That is how we pray in his name. So flip over to Ephesians chapter 1, which we've just finished preaching on. So we should have memorized the book, right? Just teasing. Verses 20 and 21. And, and by the way, uh, last week I read everything, and uh, somebody wrote me and thanked me for that because uh, they had a, a particular problem, and it helped them when I read it. Uh, so with your leave, I'm going to continue to do that. That 
that he worked in Christ, and we're just jumping in the middle of a sentence. It's a very long sentence in, in the first chapter of Ephesians. That he worked in Christ. What did he work in Christ? You can look at verse 19. Excuse me. And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power to us who believe according to the workings of his great might that he worked in Christ? See what God is doing to, for us in verse 19? Verse 20 says he does that in Christ. And verse 20, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead, seated him at his, at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but in the one to come. And it goes on to say, and he's put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. So when we, when we go to the Father, we take all that Jesus is and we present that because we're identified with Christ. What all is Jesus? I, I've got it there in your uh, notes, I, I believe. See what, see what it says about who Jesus is? Y'all know anybody else that died, was buried, got up, walked around and talked? No, only Christ did that, uh, or still does that. Um, some have done that, but they died again. Because um, we keep conking out. That's the problem with our flesh. We just can't last too long. And he is seated at the right hand. And he's far above all of the rules and authorities. I'm sorry? Yes. And that is a, a great thing to way to put it. He is the completion. Uh, and he's, he, he perfects the work of God in us. He makes us complete. Um, one of the most powerful images I, I, I think I ever saw... Kind of about that. I'm thinking about him being above all authority and power. It was when President uh, W. Bush, George W. Bush, was a president. And he had Michael W. Smith come to the White House and do a sing thing. And, um, and Michael W. brought some other people. But they were showing it. There was some little channel that kind of had religious things on it. And, and so they were showing this. Because most of us don't ever know that these kind of things can happen. But, or I didn't. But anyway, so Michael's there. They come to the end of all the little songs they're singing. And I don't know if you're familiar with Michael W. Smith's song. Above all power, above all. I don't know if that's the right first word. You know, and, they, and above all created things. You know, and it's Jesus. And there was the president of the United States, the leader of the free world. Worshiping God. Saying above all power. Above all rulers. Above all authority. Is Jesus acknowledging the place of Christ? Now, I thought it was a powerful image. I really appreciated getting to see that. When we go to God, we go in the name of the one who's been given a name above every name, who's seated at the right hand of the Father. It's not like we walk into the throne room to God the Father and say, In the name of Jesus. And in South Carolina, if I did, if, if Jesus was from South Carolina, where I'm from, that part of South Carolina I'm from. And I walked into the throne room and I said, Father, in Jesus' name. Jesus would say, who that? Who are you to use my name? You ever thought about that? When we go to the Father in Jesus' name, he's sitting right there at the right hand of the Father. And we're saying, in his name, I'm asking you. And Jesus is right there going, that's right. Listen, Dad, listen. He's got it. Right? 
So I want you to kind of get that. And Ephesians 1 just opens that door a little bit. He's been given authority and rule above all authority. We don't have to tremble in front of presidents or kings or dictators or despots. They may take our head, but it's okay. They still lose. Remember David in the Psalms? He talked about, man, my foot almost slipped because I was thinking, why are the wicked doing so well? And I'm over here struggling. I'm paraphrasing grossly. And then he said, then I considered their end. See, all the suffering I'm going to do is here, right? This is the only hell I'm ever going to know. This is only heaven they're ever going to know. And so when we come to the Father in the name of Jesus, even if we don't get what we ask for, so what? <laughs> heaven is still coming. And, and we have that. So I, I, I'm running a few rabbits here just to paint a picture for you of prayer. So the key to effective prayer is praying in his name. And so when I come, I look there in Ephesians, I can use that and say, God, you're working something great in my life, but you're doing it in Jesus who lives with me, identifies with me, and in his name because he is the one who rules. He is above. You're the one who, who placed him above all rulers and authorities and powers of this world. He has died and was buried and he rose again. And he's seated at your right hand. He's in a place of authority and judgment. And in his name, I come to you. And so we rehearse the reality of what that is before God. And it helps, uh, it helps us, but... God lets us. Now, go back to John 14. We left it there for a second. Back to John 14, again, verse 12 to 14. And I've given you the answers on your paper. What is the scope of our success in John 14? Yeah. Yeah, look at look there in, in uh, verse 14 or verse uh, 12. I'm sorry, yeah, verse 13. What is the scope? I, I put it in your paper. Whatever. Whatever you ask. Anything you ask, he'll do it. Now... We, we always say, well, anything doesn't really mean anything because when he says anything, is, it can't be selfish because we've already established that our prayers are for the glory of God. They're not for the comfort of man. They're not to make me comfortable or big or you know, rich or healthy or wealthy or any of that. It's not to exalt man. If a man is exalted by God, for what reason is he exalted? Right, for God's glory, right? So we can pray for things as long as we're praying for those things that we might use that to exalt God and glorify God. Um, I'm afraid I can't trust my motives that well. So I have to pray with the guy in uh, Proverbs. Uh, give me what's or in Psalm Proverbs. Give me what's good for me. Don't don't give me too much, lest I be satisfied and 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 uh, and, and forget you. And don't give me too little, lest I get hungry and curse you. <laughs> Give me what's good for me. Give me exactly what I need. So that, that's kind of what I have to pray. I, I'm afraid to, uh, I shouldn't say I'm afraid to ask for it, but, but, uh, but we have to keep that in mind. But look in Acts 1.1. I, I, I've mentioned this before um, in this class and in other places. And Acts comes right after John. In this book, O Theophilus, I've dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. 
until the day when he was taken up. And he goes on. So if Jesus only began to do and teach when he was here, who's still doing and teaching? His, his body, yeah, his body is the, is the means. I mean, um, okay, I'm going to think of something right now. My body is disobeying my mind. Just want you to know. Because I just told my body to reach back around, grab that coffee again, take another sip. But my body's been disobedient in my mind. Now, of course, it's not because that would give me a headache to actually do that. I'm just pretending like I told it. Because if I told it, it would do it because it loves coffee. Uh, and would always do that. But the same thing. If Jesus is in heaven and he's the head, where's the body? We are the body on earth. We are his body. So if we're his body, that means we are the thing that does the will of the mind. If the body doesn't do the will of the mind, what is true? Not connected. That's, that's a good way to put it. If your body is not connected to your mind, what does that mean for you? Trouble. <laughs> yeah, confusion. You're not gonna, if you're not moving and your mind's telling you to move... You got a disease, you've lost your head literally, you got a broken neck, you've severed the connection. That is never good in the physical body. It is really never good in the spiritual body. When the head commands him, we don't even get the signal and don't act. There's a real problem, isn't it? And Acts 1-1 is telling us that Jesus began to do, but it continues with us. We are supposed to be raising the dead, feeding the hungry, healing the sick, spreading the good news to the poor. Right? And that why Jesus came, according to Isaiah and then according to Luke. When Jesus at 30 went to the temple, and they said, here, read this. And Jesus, as a rabbi, read that. And he said, sat down and said, today this is fulfilled in your ears. I'm the one that came to preach the gospel to the poor and deliverance to the captive and all those things. So that's what, what Jesus is about and we're supposed to do it. Notice the exactness in John 14. What will Jesus do? Look in verse 13. What will Jesus do? This I will do. Whatever you ask. The this is whatever you asked. This I will do. Whatever you ask my name, this I will do. It is exact. Very exact. And then, what is the purpose? And this is where we get into the, the caveat um, of prayer. Right. That the Father might be glorified in the Son. Verse 13. So, as the Son accomplishes the work, it glorifies the Father. Right? You with me? So, we as the body of Christ, when we, when we do the work that Christ wants done... It glorifies Christ, but in, in doing the work of Christ, it glorifies the Father, because that's what he was all about. When he was here uh, in his physical body on the earth, that's what he was all about. And here are a couple of verses, and they're also in John. Uh, John 8, that, actually they're all in that same chapter. John 8, except, well, I'll take that back, there's one more. Um, John eight twenty nine, 29, uh, Scripture says, I still don't take me a second. So Jesus said to them, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am He and that I do nothing on my own authority, but speak just as the Father taught me. Verse 29, and He who sent me is with me. 
He has not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to him. So if I'm going to ask in Jesus' name, and I'm not always doing the things that please the Father, I don't have that same assurance and confidence, do I? In a future one, we will talk about confidence in prayer even though we have sin, okay? We can't cover that tonight. But the purpose is the Father be glorified in the Son. And in John 8, 29, he said, I always do that which is pleasing to the Father. Same chapter, verse 49 Jesus answered, I do not have a demon, but I honor my father and you dishonor me. Because they were saying that what he did was he did by the power of a demon. He's on a demon. And when we accuse anyone that their success or what they're doing is done in the name of the devil and it's in the name of Christ. And Mark, when he taught this, he lets us know that that's blasphemy against the Holy Spirit won't be forgiven. Because what Jesus did, he did in the power of the Holy Spirit. So in verse 49, uh, the Jew, in verse 48, the Jews answered him, Are we not right, not right in saying that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? And he said, I don't have a demon. I honor my father and you dishonor me. And then he goes on, Yet I do not seek my own glory. There's one who seeks it and he is the judge. Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. So he, he's trying to let them know he's working for the father. And then in chapter 17, which is the high priestly prayer of Christ, and verse 4 is more accurate to describe chapter 14 of John, I mean chapter 17 of John, as the Lord's Prayer. Because that's when Jesus literally prayed. Um, what we call the Lord's Prayer is a model prayer for disciples, but that's a, a minor point. I just like to, you to know that. Look at verse 4. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. I mean, again, just to mention it, Billy Graham passed away this past week. Let's say that just before he died, could he have prayed that prayer? All of us would say, yeah, I bet he could. I don't know if he would have thought he did, could. But Jesus could. Jesus had a very specific task. He knew what it was. He knew he was going to accomplish it. And he said, I've done everything you sent me to do. I've accomplished that which you sent me to do. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. We glorify God when we do the work he gives us to do. So now, having said that, how does the church glorify God? Is it? Thanks. I'll turn it off. No, it's messed up. Yeah, they can hear me whispering. I'm sorry? Right. By accomplishing what the Father sent us to do. What the Father sent us to do. Thank you. What is the great commandment? Aren't we supposed to do that too? What is it? Go ahead. You said it's hard to do. Yeah, to, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. This is the first and greatest commandment. The second one is like it. So the church is to love God without anything in between. To love people as we love ourselves. And the commission is going to all the world preach the gospel. That's how we love God and love people, is the Great Commission. And we need both those things to understand the full scope of our purpose. But that is, and, and, and friend, trust me, it doesn't get any more complicated than that. We complicate it with other things, but that's it. As individuals and as a church, we are to glorify God, love Him, worship Him with all our heart, soul, mind, strength. We are to love our neighbors as ourselves. 
And we are to do that also through spreading the gospel, which is to go tell, baptize, and fellowship or discipleship uh, and disciple them. All right, so that is the purpose of Christ, and now that's our purpose. We inherit, if we're identifying with Christ, we, it's not that he's going to be like us. He, he made himself like us, but he did that so we could be like him. And if we're going to be like him, we've got to do the will of the Father, and that is the will of the Father for the church. So we don't get to pick. That's something we have to do, okay? Now, this is kind of uh, a, a new section, specific authority of prayer, of prayer in his name. So that was one thing. It's, though we're continuing it, it's a little bit of shifting of gears. I just want you to understand that. So in, in Luke, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, 10 and 11 is uh, a lot of teachings uh, uh, there, and it just says study it, and we don't have time to do that tonight. But in there, um, we see uh, Jesus saying he sent out 70, uh, 72 people, and they come back, and they're like, uh, you will not believe what's happened. Um, he sent them out. The harvest is plentiful. The labors are few. Pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send labors out to his harvest. And then he tells them, I'm going to send you out. You're going like sheep among wolves. You're, it's not going to be pleasant. Um, I'm becoming more and more and more and more aware of the spiritual fight that is in front of Calvary Baptist Church. We've got to do war on the floor. This is not, this is not ill-timed. Um, uh, the, I, I, somebody told me, I didn't see it, but they told me, um, the person who has the whole Harry Potter thing in the city was given the keys to the city. Excuse me, they're all being honored. Last year, I didn't know what was going on, and it was just one of the worst weeks of my life. And it wasn't like bad things were happening. It just was oppressive. And so I know this week's going to be even stronger because now Disney is sponsoring it. And Disney don't do anything small. It's going to be huge, and it's demonic. You say, I don't think Harry Potter's demonic. Believe what you want. Just telling you it is, okay? Um, I got relatives that read the books, and they don't see the problem. But I'm telling you, it is not good. And we are in a spiritual fight. We're going to have to do war on the floor between now and then. And we've got to figure out a way to be a presence where we can minister in Jesus' name in the middle of that. Um, uh, we, we've got to go and show Christ's love. Um, but as we go, he says, I'm sending you out like uh, in verse 3. Behold, I'm sending you out lambs in the midst of wolves. Have fun storming the castle. I don't know if you ever saw the Princess Bride, but... You know, good luck. Or <laughs> y'all, y'all know the, about their traffic controller in the Atlanta airport. You can get that. That's fine. Um, it was a female uh, air traffic controller in Atlanta airport one day, and I don't know, know the actual numbers, but came in said, "Atlanta control. This is Delta one two three. Requesting permission to land." Said. You land on runway three, headed east. He said, thank you, Atlanta Tower. Final approach now. A couple seconds later, Atlanta Tower, this is American Airlines, 456. Request permission to land. You're cleared to land. Runway three, headed west. All of a sudden, the Delta pilot yells, Atlanta Tower, Atlanta Tower, you have us on a collision course. What do you want us to do? And she said, y'all drive careful now, you hear <laughs> That is not, that's obviously a joke. That is not what Jesus did. I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves. Have fun. 
he goes on to tell us how he's going to be with us. If we even if we are slaughtered in that, so what? Um, and he tells them what to do as they come to towns. And then he talks about the unrepentant cities. They're the ones that are going to suffer. I mean, go back and read Hebrews 11 when you get discouraged. Because, oh, you say, yeah, all those people had victory. Yeah, and then he says, and others, sawn in half, wandered around in the wilderness, didn't have enough to eat, a place to live, were beaten and tortured and all these things. And it says, and the world was not worthy of them. And they received a greater reward. And so... Don't worry about it. It's going to be worse for the unrepentant city as we go and preach than it is for us. And then he goes into the return of the 72 in verse 17. So they came back, said, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I've given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions over all the power of the enemy. And nothing shall hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this. That the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. We are to never get over that. That is our, in other words, he's like, don't get excited about it. Stay excited about it. That's good. Keep doing that. But you stay excited that your name's written in heaven. So whenever God begins to use us, all we can say, man, well, that's good. But it's not me, it's him. And I'm just thankful I'm getting to go to heaven. Or as one of my professors told me, there are three surprises in heaven. Surprised who is there, because there's going to be people there you didn't think would make it. You're going to be surprised who's not there, because there's going to be some people there you thought would go, and they're not there. Then you're going to be surprised you're there, because <laughs> it's an amazing place. And so these people were excited because of what had happened. So then Jesus rejoices, and in that same hour, it says in verse 21, he rejoiced in the Holy Spirit and said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows who the Son is except the Father, or who the Father is except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. The only reason you know God is because the Son chooses to reveal him. And then he says, uh, then turning to the disciples, he said privately, Blessed are the eyes of, uh, that see what you see. For I tell you that many prophets and kings longed to see what you see and did not see it. And, so, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. Talking about David who was promised, you know, your line will never go away. And yet he died, didn't get to see that. And Jesus is the one that made that happen. And so then he talks about the Good, good Samaritan, which you know. This is how we're to live. We're to love neighbors that we don't. Uh, think we're supposed to like our culture tells us not to like we're supposed to love them minister them serve them he then we come to mary and martha which uh, we've already talked about martha why are you anxious why are you worried about so many things then he the the disciples ask him and he teaches on the lord's prayer Um, and we're going to spend some time in luke 11 uh, as we go forward now so i wrote down there some references for text you can claim in prayer um, and yeah, we got time. I'm, I, I'm, we're going to turn and read those. I, I, w- I wish I could have you read them, but um, what's it? Uh, Ephesians uh, 1, 18 to 23. These are just texts to claim for yourself as you pray. Uh, and it says there, Having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? 
And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe? Stop just a second. What did he just say? That we would know the limit, the immeasurable greatness of his power. Now, we just, I I guess, I don't know, multimedia. We've heard so many things in our lives. And we've watched too many Marvel movies. That we think the power of God just, you know, we ought to be walking around kind of crackling like static electricity. Because we just have so much power. You know. I don't know. Again, I told you this morning. I'll tell you again. I think in pictures and phrases. And I and I can just imagine that sometimes that's kind of how we think. Like, yeah, it's just, you know, I'm just rumbling with power. The power comes when, in our obedience. The power comes when we lay hold of it. And here Paul is praying that the Christians, the saints, the church would know the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe. I mean, it took a lot of power to save some of you. <laughs> Actually, it took a lot of power to save all of us. I was teasing. Right? I mean, if he, rose, if he killed us and rose us from the dead without our bodies even dying, that takes some power. To those who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. Far above all rule and authority... I've already finished reading this. Empower and dominion above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Let me ask you, are you part of the body of Christ? Okay, then claim Ephesians 1. That's yours. It belongs to you. You can know the immeasurable greatness of his power. You can see, you can... You, you have been given a power above rulers and authorities and all these dominions in the name of Jesus. And so we use that to claim Stanton for Jesus. That, that's the point. Okay, uh, Colossians 1. Uh, it's Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. So it's two more books. Philippians and then the next book, Colossians 1. Look at verses 13 and 14. By the way, I love Colossians. Almost as much as I love Ephesians. I love the Bible, but you know. I go to these verses a lot in my thoughts and prayers. What did I put there? Uh, 13 and 14, yeah. I, I usually back up to about 11. But look at 13 and 14. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son, to whom we have... In whom, I'm sorry, we have redemption, the forgiveness of sin. I've told you before, I'm going to tell you again. In this context, maybe it'll hit you a little better. And in verse 13, that word uh, uh, delivered and transferred, that word transferred is what it means, literally, this isn't, you know, this isn't the definition of the word, but what it means literally is illustrated by Star Trek. I've told you this before. And the beam me up Scotty. That's what it means. He picked you up out of one place and carried you and plopped you in the other. You didn't get to heaven on this long walk. He took you out of Satan's kingdom. He just lifted you out of it. And then he turned around and set you down in God's kingdom. That's what he did. Now, obviously he did a lot to us taking us through that. He changed who we are, our nature. He made us new creatures in Christ, all that stuff. But you didn't grow into it. You didn't figure it out. You didn't get better and better. He snatched you out of darkness and put you into light. Like that. 
Bam. We used to sing it uh, in a song. Uh, we would still sing it in a song. We just sang it. The vilest offender who truly believes that moment from Jesus a pardon receives. Just takes a moment. In that moment, poof, it's done. Out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. So when you go to pray, I do not belong to the kingdom of darkness. Satan has no authority over me. Back then in Ephesians 1, over every ruler and authority. and Does that include Satan's rule and authority? Yeah. I'm out of that. And so when I go to pray and the devil starts jumping me. Oh, yeah, but you did that. You messed that up. You did this in your life. And da, 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 da. Get away. I don't belong to you. I've been, I don't even live where you live. I live in a new place. I have, I'm moving on up. Okay, I'm doing show tunes now. Um, we, we're, we've changed. We don't live in that same place. And when we pray, thank you, God, I am not in the darkness. I'm in the light. I'm in the kingdom of light. That, is, that just that, that primes my pump. Look at chapter 2, verse 9. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. So we're identifying with Christ, but in Christ, is he anything less than God? Is Christ anything less than God? No, he is fully God. So when you identify it with him, not that you become God, but you are identifying with him... You have that, the privilege of walking in under the last president, and now we got a new president. We've had a lot of presidents. Um, Janice and I also like to watch this series uh, called Crown. It's about Queen Elizabeth and her life, and they've kind of docu- you know, just made this little, it's actors, and of course it's dramatized. And uh, a couple of the shows are when other, like uh, it was when President Kennedy went to see her. Um, she had an audience with Billy Graham, her mom was laughing at him. Most of England didn't go to crusades to get saved. They were kind of laughing at him. You know, who is this hick, like crazy preacher? Because, you know, it's Church of England. Everything's real formal. Queen Elizabeth liked it. And she had him come in and she she talked to him. But but uh, in the show where the Kennedys come in, they come in and they use certain terms, you know, your highness and all this stuff. And and the, and, and there's these two guys that are like the, the, the keepers of protocol. And they're going, it's not that. It's supposed to be this. It's not that. It's supposed to be. And then when it's all kind of done, President Kennedy looks at Elizabeth's husband, Prince Philip, and says, I feel like I just butchered all that. And he goes, yeah, you did. It was pretty bad. But come on, let's go, you know, let's go get a drink or something. You know? And they, they walk off. And, and uh, in, here in Colossians 2, 9, do you think you can walk into the presence of God because of who you are? No, there's a protocol. But wait a minute. I'm identified with Jesus. There's the protocol. Father, in Jesus' name, in his authority, all that Jesus is, he is God of God. In fact, I'm going to show you something in your notes just a second. So let me go on. Look at verse 16, because then I'm going to show you that. God bless you, babe. She's sneezing down here. Um, Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or new moon or Sabbath. I think I've seen a, a billboard around here, you know, is, is the Sunday really the Sabbath? No, it's not. Saturday's the Sabbath. Sunday's first day of the week. That's when the first church met. That's when we meet. But what if we met on Tuesday? Would that be okay? What if we didn't meet on Sunday? We met on Tuesday. Would that be all right? Culturally, no, because we're, you know, no, you can only go to church on Sunday, right? New Testament, they met every day. And Paul is telling us not 
don't worry about it. You need a day, at least one day a week, to worship God. We ought to be worshiping Him all the time. But He says, don't let some man judge you about that. You have the authority of Christ. And if you set aside a day to worship Him, it's the right day. So, you know, God bless the Seventh-day Adventists. They all freaked out. They should be meeting on Saturday. Okay, you want to ruin your Saturday? That's fine. We're going, we're going, we're going to do Sunday, okay? That's just how we are. I, that was kind of, that was tongue-in-cheek. I'm just joking. So if you're, you know, if you are Seventh-day Adventists from there, don't, don't get mad at me. Um, but, you know, some Baptists, if we worshipped on a different day. I heard a guy many, 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 many years ago, and he was just talking about, kind of breaking ourselves out of the way we think. And he ministered, I think, in Canada. And he said, there's only, in Canada, there's winter and three months of sloppy skating. In other words, it doesn't really thaw out. It just, it gets a little worse. And he said, so when that happens, when summer hits, he said, Friday after work, everybody is gone. Like, they left. And they go into their vacation homes, they're going to the lake, they're going to wherever they want to go because they got three months to do it in. And that's it. That's when they did it. So guess what? He started having Sunday morning church on Thursday night. And he said our numbers had do- dropped dramatically because they only had those three months to do fun stuff in on the weekend. So he did church on Thursday night. And guess what? Everybody came because they wanted to come to church. They just didn't. They only had three months to enjoy the outdoors. So they left on the weekend. Say, well, that's horrible. They ought to come on Sunday. They ought to come the day that Jesus said we ought to come. He didn't tell us that. They worshiped the first day and they said, hey, this is cool. Let's keep doing it. That's all. And Paul comes along and says, don't, don't, don't let people break you, get you all messed up about that. We could do church on Thursday night. If I was planting a church, you know, some of our church plant guys, they go to an area and there's a church and it's not doing so much for the Lord or maybe it's doing great things for the Lord. And that church says, hey, we meet at Sunday morning at 11, but y'all are welcome to come in here at 2 and use the church. What? Well, no, no, no. We got to meet at 11, you know. I'm, I'm, I'm being a little facetious just to get the picture here of what Paul's saying. In the authority of Christ, we don't let people judge us about how we are worshiping Christ or what day and time we're worshiping Christ. We, uh, we can do it almost uh, uh, just about any time. But look at, look at verse uh, 10. You've been filled with him who is the head of all rule and authority. You've been filled with Christ. He's the head of all rule and authority. So I didn't put verse 10 in there, but that, that would be a good verse. First Peter 3.22. Who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers having been subject to him. Christ has gone into heaven where all powers of heaven, every angel, every being there bows at his feet. Except the Father and the Holy Spirit, obviously. So claim that. All authority, all power. 1 John 3, 8. I got to keep moving or I'll preach on every verse. Uh, Whoever makes a practice of sinning. Is of the devil, for the devil's been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. You've been having trouble? What does it say there? Why did Jesus appear? To destroy the works of the devil. I'm telling y'all, the answers are simple because God made them simple, okay? I'm just asking the question, get you to say it. 
He came to destroy the works of the devil. So the devil's having fun in your life. Who, who lives in you? All right. So God lives in you. And Christ came to destroy the works of the devil. So do you have to be subject to the devil? No, obviously not. You don't have to be. You, you can make yourself that, but you don't have to. That, that's a choice you've made. And then Revelation 12. Ooh, love Revelation, don't you? We get to look into heaven sometimes there. Verses 9 through 11 of Revelation 12. And the great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent who's called the devil, excuse me, and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. And I heard with a loud voice, I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come, for the accuser of our brethren has been thrown down, who accuses them day and night before our God. And they have conquered him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. For they loved not their lives even unto death. When the devil should not be able to shake us with the threat of killing us. Because he's just punching my ticket to get on the train. That's all he's doing. He's saying, okay, get on the plane. You can go to heaven. And man, there's a thousand stories of guys been from firing squads and things like that. And just in the name of Jesus, yeah, okay, whatever. And freaked out that people were about to kill him and didn't kill him. I specifically, I heard about this one guy and, and uh, you know, true story. And they lined him up. They're going to kill him. And he said, you're about to exercise your greatest weapon. That is to kill me. And when you do, I will exercise my greatest weapon, which is to die. And he's smiling at them. And it messed them up so bad they didn't shoot him. And he said in his testimony, we told it, he said, and I was disappointed. <laughs> I was so ready. I, I, I was minutes away from stepping into heaven and they didn't kill me. And so it was a great disappointment. <laughs> You know, it, boy, when, you, when you're walking that close, when it's, you're disappointed you didn't get to go. Paul said that. Remember what Paul said? Hey, I've been given a choice. I could go or I could stay. To go is good for me. To stay is good for you. I'm like between a rock and a hard place. But I've decided to stay because you need me. Yeah. I, yeah, Billy Graham, you know, all, all that life. So I, I want to get to here... Um, and, and that was the key to effective prayer. I want to get here to uh, something. Uh, well, first, let's look at worship. Um, and it'll lead us into this. We see places that God works. And so when we worship him, God works in creation. We can see him there. God works in providence. That is organizing our life, doing things for us. He works in grace. He gives us his power. Uh, that's what grace is. He gives us his enabling and then God has communicable and non-communicable attributes. There's some things. We'll never be deity. We will never be deity. By the way, you'll never be an angel. Um, I posted this video from the, I guess, the 60s. Uh, Billy Graham, uh, Woody Allen, uh, the comedian and filmmaker, must have had a show back then. I was unaware of that. But he is interviewing Billy Graham. And, he, he, and Woody Allen, trying to be funny, said, well, uh, so if I, if I believe you... I get to go to heaven and get a halo and, or, or a white robe and some wings. He said, no, you're not going to get wings. He said, how about one wing? He said, no, you're not going to get a wing. Bill Graham never said, you're not going to become an angel. A saint is a saint. Because he, he was trying to get the gospel in there, which he did. And so he wasn't ugly to the guy. 
But sometimes we, we think that you're never going to be God. However, God has communicable attributes. So we can have the love of God. We can have the mind of Christ. We can have the mercy of God. We can have the power of God in us, right? So God does communicate some of his attributes to us. We will never be perfect. Well, we will be when we die. But on this earth, we can't be perfectly holy right now. Um, we, we don't have the power of deity. There are teachers out there say, oh, you know, God spoke the universe into existence. And since God lives in you, if you speak, it'll happen. Uh, come on, man. If you pray in Jesus' name, God will glorify himself. But don't get carried away there and make stuff up. Um, so, so God has communicable attributes. So when we worship God, we can worship him. Thank you that you made this place for us to live in and then made us where we could live in this place. You may not be into science fiction. Obviously, I reference Star Wars and Star Trek and all these other weird stuff. But if you send, you know, even though Frank Sinatra sang it, send me to the moon, um, fly me to the moon, I guess it was. If I went and, and landed on the moon without a spacesuit, what would happen? I'd die because my body wasn't built to live there or Mars or Neptune or Venus or whatever. So God made my body to live in this atmosphere. He's making a new body for me to live in heaven. If I went to heaven right now in this body, it'd kill me. I couldn't handle it. So it'd be the same thing. So he has to give us a new body. And so, but when I worship God, so I can thank him that the Bible says he made all of these things for our enjoyment. And when I do this, it's as if the buildings down here and those houses aren't out there. He's made all of nature and the created world for our enjoyment, for our use, for our comfort and good. So we are to manage it to make sure we take care of it. But taking care of it doesn't mean don't use it. It means make sure you use it in a wise way. We, we can praise God for his, his providence. Is God at work in our lives? That's a very general one. You can say yes. Because sometimes you feel like not only did you miss the bus, but you're under the bus. You know, um, But God is working in his providence. Um, it, someone very close to us right now is working through that. Because their providence is not looking fun right at the moment. And they're struggling. And so we're praying for them. That God, that they could rejoice in his providence. Certainly we ought to rejoice in his grace. How do you get the grace of God in your life? Let me just pause for a second and ask that. It's not on your sheet. So how do you get the grace of God in your life? It's not complicated. I, I didn't hear First, you've got to belong to him. Amen to that. So, first, I bow before him and I belong to him. And then what? Yeah. Specifically, you can ask. You can ask for it. But, but we get grace whenever we are obedient to him as well. I mean, everything he said is true. When I pray, read my Bible, fellowship with other believers, I give, I serve. God gives grace because if... <laughs> um, I heard a preacher uh, say one time, I'm sorry, I was looking around for a chair. I was going to sit down. Um, some people, you know, they came forward in church to confess Christ. And somebody said, oh, God bless you, have a seat. And they mistook that for the Great Commission. And that's what they've been doing ever since. Um, they're sitting on their blessed assurance instead of uh, um, getting out there, uh, you know. Um, and I heard this preacher say one time, there was this guy. And they were witnessing to him. He said, well, I just don't feel God move me. I just, he said... I feel like I ought to wire every seat. 
And then I figure out where he's sitting, going third row, five over, and hit him with an electrical shock. Feel that, brother? Come on, you know. Uh, and, and sometimes God's grace comes after obedience. You know, I, I mentioned this morning about Joshua, and he made the priest step into the water before the water parted. Sometimes you're getting in the water, and you're going, God, 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 you know, are you going to, are you going to make it? Are you going to show up? Are you going to help me? Yeah, he will, and sometimes he doesn't show up till we're obedient. And sometimes he shows up, you know, to give us this grace to get into it. But sometimes he says, take a step, trust me. Um, and and it, it can work either way, honestly. So, but we get grace, it's called the means of grace. The means of grace is praying and fasting and giving and serving and witnessing and fellowship and doing all the things that we always are talking about doing because God gives us grace or his presence, his strength as we do those things. And, and then we ask for grace that we could serve and do those things. We can't do it without him. So that is intricately uh, together. What I'm doing is I have my handwritten notes, and then I'm, I'm looking back and forth to what you guys are looking at. Um, so sometimes I get a little confused. I want you to see that we are united with Christ. And our unity with Christ is, is an experienced thing. We, it's, it's organic and real. We have a personal life with him. We are united with him. That ought to be as real as being married. Yeah, we're coming, we're coming to that in just a second. Just, I mean, don't take it down. Leave it there. But um, it's in your paper, too. We are united with him, and then we're identified with him, which is legal. One is organic. One is experiential. The other is legal standing before the judge. Right now, who is the judge? That's a, kind of a trick question. God is the judge. But there's coming a day when he's going to transfer all the judgment to the son. He's going to let the son be the judge. So that he can glorify God even in that. But God is our judge right now. The father is our judge. And we have this relationship with Christ that makes us legally right before the judge. And it is that legal rightness that gives us that access to pray in his name. But praying in his name is to know him. Um, I've mentioned Trey, and, and, and we became very close when we were teenagers. We lived about 45 minutes apart. So many nights he'd spend the night at my house. Many nights I'd spend the night at his house. I like to spend the night at his house because he lived on the beach. Uh, they lived on the Isle of Palms. And before it was commercial, it was a residential. We were a block from the beach. It was great. Uh, many, uh, we've, we've been running up down the beach many a midnight, swam in the ocean at midnight. Um, it's a fun thing to do, but um, we were kids. We were very, very close. So my, uh, his parents are both alive. My, my dad died. He rode in the family car. My mom died. He preached at her funeral. He considered, his, and I call his parents mom and dad still to this day. And if I were in serious need, I could go to Mr. and Mrs. Rhodes and say, Mom, Dad. Now, I'm, I'm you know, older. I, I, that's not going to happen. But they would treat me like their son. And my parents would have done the same thing for Trey. That is that organic identity. It's not legal. They didn't adopt, we didn't adopt each other. It's not legal, but it was organic. Legal is you say, I'm going to love this kid who was not biologically born to us, but I'm going to adopt him in. And he becomes legally your child. We are legally gods by the purchase of Christ. But we're also organically gods because Christ... He, is, he trusts us. Can you believe that? He trusted us with the gospel. 
Now, that ought to scare you that we're supposed to be sharing the gospel. But he lives in us, okay? And this, this is John 14 up here, verse 7, uh, verse 9, and verse 10. And, and let me read those to you, and then I'll explain what you're looking at there. Sorry. And he said with a loud voice, Fear God and give him glory, because the hour of his judgment has come, and worship him who made heaven and earth, the sea, and the springs of water. And then, uh, is it verse 9? Yeah, verse 9. And another angel, a third. Oh, I'm in Revelation. I'm going, What? Say, What? That didn't make sense. Let me, let me, let me turn to that. I forgot where I was. Oh, thank you. Jesus said to him, have I been so long and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Now, look down uh, in verse, that was verse 9, Look back at the 7. Man, I am messing that all up, aren't I? If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip says, show us the Father. He said, have I been so long with you, Philip, that you haven't seen? Whoever seen the, me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Verse 10, do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. And so what, what you're looking at there is the Trinity, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And because it's on that kind of thing, it's hard to see. That arrow on your paper should connect the S, which stands for the sun, to the bottom circle. Okay? So if you want to draw that in somehow, because the top is the deity. The Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Okay? Y'all with me on that? You're seeing it on your paper. You're seeing it on the board. The top is the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. This is God in Trinity unity. Three persons, one God, one essence, one authority, one power. God of very God, they're all, they're all the same in essence and authority. The Son left the Trinity and became the God-man. That's what the G-M is for. He was never anything less than God. He was never anything more than man in his flesh. You say, that's crazy to say that. I know. But it's true. Um, there was a movie back again in the 70s or 80s. I may have watched it. That's not the point. The point is, um, it, it was Steve Martin, and they put a different brain in his body. And so then, you know, hijinks ensue. Everybody laughs. He becomes a millionaire. But the idea was his body wouldn't respond to the brain because, or maybe he had two brains in there. I don't forget the, the plot line. But he didn't want to do what the new brain was telling him to do because that's not what he did. And he was always fighting with himself. Jesus was not in contradiction with himself. He was fully God and fully man all at the same time. What does that mean? The Bible says in Philippians, he emptied himself of that, of deity. He, he emptied himself. He wasn't less than God, but he did not exercise his God-likeness or his Godness. He emptied himself of that exercise of deity. So he did not command angels to defend him on the cross. He did not raise the dead because I'm God, you get up. He said, Father, you hear me, but I think you always hear me. And I'm only praying because you've already answered this prayer, but I'm praying for those standing around me so they can know who you are. Lazarus, come forth. 
Remember that? Everything Jesus did, he did in the power of the Holy Spirit. We're going to come to a place in a time in this series of studies where I will show you that everything Jesus did was done in the power of the Spirit, including rising from the dead. It's a verse in Hebrews. He died on the cross by the... Oh, that's a verse in Romans. There's a verse in Hebrews that says, offering himself by the Spirit on the cross. That even dying on the cross, he did that in the power of the Holy Spirit because a man would not voluntarily go through that. And, and so the Son came to earth to be the God-man. But if he had done all that stuff as God, you and I would be without hope. Why? I've already given you the answer earlier tonight. Why would that make us hopeless? Because we're not God. Exactly. We can't, we can't be God. We can only be man. So Jesus was man and did what he did in the power of the Spirit. Back there to the beginning verses tonight in John. Oh, the works I do, you'll do these and greater than these will you do. Later on he said, because I go to the Father, because I'm going to send the Comforter. Now the Holy Spirit comes and he invades us. And we're not the God-man, but we're man filled with God. You get the, you get in the picture here? All right. I want you to see that. So you need to claim that. And John 14, is that's the picture of who Jesus is. Because you've seen me, you've seen the Father, because the Trinity is one. Okay? But I have come down so you can see God. John 1 says, and, the, and God put on flesh, and he put on flesh and dwelt among us, that we could behold it, that glory of God. Okay? All right. Now, I, this is the part I really get excited about. And... Um, I got a little bit of time. Look in Luke 11. This is the incentive to pray. And we'll start in verse 5. We're headed to 9 and 10. Ask, seek, and knock. And you've been in church a long time. When it says ask, what is it saying? When it says seek, what is it saying? When it says knock, what is it saying? I mean, in our English Bible, it says, ask, seek, knock. But what is it grammatically saying in the Greek language? Yeah, ask and keep on asking. Seek and keep on seeking. Knock and keep on knocking. Okay? Now, that's the key. I'm going to go hint, 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 hint. That is the key to this incentive to pray. So, let, let's, let me just read these verses. And he said to them, which of you as a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, friend... Lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, Do not bother me. The door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because he's his friend, yet because of his impudence, impudence, uh, I can't read well, can I? He will rise and give him whatever he needs. And I tell you, ask, and it will be given you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, it will be open for you. For everyone who asks receives. Everyone who seeks, find. And to the one who knocks, it will be open. <clears throat> what father among you, if a son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish, give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit? To those who ask him. Here's the incentive to pray. What is the very first incentive in this passage? He ain't got no bread. That's the first incentive. There's a need. Right? 
you know our human tendency. If everything's going good, we don't pray so much, if at all. Just like, hey, God, going well, thanks. I'll check in with you when it gets desperate. All right, for this guy, it got desperate. Now, we kind of have to infer a little bit because he tells a story in this way. But what happened is this guy's in his bed at midnight, and suddenly on his door, and he opens the door, and I'll, I'll, I'll keep on with my buddy Trey. Trey, what are you doing? Oh, man, I was traveling through here. My car broke down. And I, I need a place to stay. And he comes in. Oh, yeah, sure. Come on in, man. Dive in. And I'm thinking, oh, my goodness. I don't have anything to feed him in the morning. And then he looks at me and says, dude, I have not eaten all day. I'm starving. What do you got? Be right with you. So I take off and I go to John's house. And I knock on John's door. Hey, John. Who is that? It's Stuart. Trey came to see me, and I don't have any bread. I need your help. Man, I'm asleep. I'm in my nightgown and my nightcap. I'm just teasing. Uh, I'm already asleep, and I do not feel like getting up and getting you anything. Leave me alone. No, come on, John. Really, my buddy is my friend, and he's hungry. Can you please give me some bread? All right, all right, all right. I'm coming. And he comes and gives me bread, and I take it back, and Trey eats it, okay? So my first thing is the incentive to pray is my own need. The way to be more than a conqueror is to know a conquering God. Now, remember, here's what we're... How do you get bread from the Father? That's what Jesus is describing here. How do you get manna from God? How do you receive the thing you need from God? And the way to have God meet your need is don't keep your cupboard full. Manna breeds worms. Even man, if it's kept overnight, breeds maggots. Unless it's Friday night in the Old Testament, just to say that. If it's stored on earth, it breeds worms. It was to be consumed by his people to give them strength to do the journey for that day. Right? By the way, there's a hint about dieting. Each carbs in the morning and protein at night. But anyway, we won't go there. And the bread always tastes best when it's fresh out of Father's oven. I mean, this guy didn't go down to the Piggly Wiggly and have loaves of bread in the freezer like we did when we were kids. Y'all know about Piggly Wiggly? Sorry. Just just a flashback. Winn-Dixie. Those are the stores when I was growing up. Food line. How about that? This guy had to get up and make bread for him. This guy didn't even have the stuff to make the bread. I need bread, dude. We're asleep. We ate all the bread. We don't have any bread left. What do you think? This Panera? We don't have anything left over. Come on, I need bread. The guy had to get up and make the bread. And he makes the bread here, fresh out of the Father's oven. He gives us what we need. Okay? Now, I also want you to notice, this guy was burdened for someone else. He was burdened for someone else. Because you can have a great heart... And still have an empty cupboard. You can want to help everybody. And not have anything to give. And so. I'm not sure how it is. Maybe yeah. You have a a place here. Do y'all have the illustration on your paper? Okay good. I don't don't have your copy. So I don't know how it looks. Um, You go ahead and put the illustration up on the thing. So the first incentive is an empty cupboard. At my own need. Go Click over one more. Uh, 
When he knocked on the door, the guy said, no, that's the other incentive to pray. If God tells you no, he's kidding. Okay? So I thought God never lies. He, yeah, he doesn't. He says no, so you'll pray more. Now, as a parent, having had children, they would ask and we'd say no, and they'd keep asking and aggravate me. And I'd say, I told you no, and I meant no. Every once in a while, they could wear us down, right? But God, when he says no, he means pray again. No, you didn't ask that right. Pray again. You didn't ask for the right thing. Pray again. That illustration may not make sense. I, I drew it in stick figures, and, and Miss Katie made it look better, and, and she got my approval for that. The guy on the far left is my friend in need. The guy in the middle and at the door is you. You're going to your friend's house, and you're knocking on your friend's door because behind that door are the resources. Wait a minute. What did Jesus call himself in John 10? I'm the door. Yeah. Go to the door, knock, and the friend says, no. Now, listen, I told you all how close I am to Trey. So I go to Trey's house, I knock and say, dude, I need bread. And he goes, man, leave me alone, which is what he would say. Because what I'd say, what do you want, man? Get away from me, you know, as a friend. Would that discourage him or would that discourage me? No, I'd say, come on, man, get up. I need some bread. Okay, man, okay, okay. I don't feel like it, but I'll do it. Well, that's how close friends talk to each other, right? Okay, God is not playing a game when he says no. What he means is, I need you to pray some more. So no is an incentive to keep praying. You, you need God to say that. And so we go and we knock on the door. And in Jesus' illustration, the door gets opened. It's midnight. And the door is shut against him. He's knocking on a door that's not going to open. Open the door. I need bread. No. Many a crusader becomes a quitter right there. We're going to conquer the world. God, be with us. He goes, I'm not going. What? Wait. We're not supposed to go. No, he didn't say don't go. He said no. So you'll ask again. You'll pray again because there's something he needs to teach you. There's something you need to learn. There's something he wants you to realize. There's something you aren't quite there yet. And he wants to make sure you get there before you go. So don't quit. This is where prayer begins. Anybody ever been a salesman in their life? Ever tried to sell anything? Okay, there's a sales rule that goes like this. Salesmanship begins when the customer says no. I don't know if you... I should ask it a different one, but I don't want you to raise your hand. You ever had a salesman talk you into something you don't want to buy? Okay, you're not going to convince God of something he don't want to do. But this is where prayer begins. We pray and the answer comes no. And so many more quit the second time he says no. What do you want? I need bread. I got a friend coming. No, I'm in bed with my friend. No, come on, I need you. No. And then he says, not because he was his friend, but because he wouldn't leave him alone, he got up and gave him the bread. Now, don't forget what happens at the end of this parable. Jesus said, ask and keep on asking. Seek and keep on seeking. Knock, keep on knocking. So you thought I was off base, but that's what Jesus said. Don't quit when the answer is no. Ask, keep on asking. Seek, keep on seeking. Knock, keep on knocking. Because the Father wants to give you a good gift, but you're asking for a bad gift. He wants to give you a good one. Now in the illustration that Jesus gives, they gets what he asked for. 
But what, the question is, what kind of bread do you get from God? Because the only way God can make deliveries of bread is down the avenue of prayer. Because you don't know what he's done for you if you're not praying, if you're not asking him for it. And there is a third incentive to prayer. And that's full arms. You need to dispose of your supply. What happens when God fills us with good things? As a human being, what do we do? When God gives us an abundance, what do we do with it? Thank you. We build silos to keep it. No, get rid of it. 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 An incentive to pray is God has given us, whoa, Lord, what do you want us to do with this? We got an abundant supply here. How are we supposed to handle this? There's a legendary story again. I wasn't there. None of us could have been there. St. Bernard of Clairvaux went up to the Vatican to see the Pope. And the Pope showed him all around the Vatican, showed him all the riches of the Vatican. And if you're not Catholic or never been Catholic, don't have relatives Catholic. The Pope is supposed to be the descendant of Peter spiritually. He is the vicar of Christ. He stands in the place of Christ in the Catholic doctrine. So the Pope is showing Bernard around. And he says to the guy that became St. Bernard, he says to Bernard of Clairvaux, no longer can Peter say silver and gold have I none. And Bernard looked at the Pope and said, and neither can he say, rise, take up your bed and walk. We got an abundance, y'all. Look around. I mean, we're we're in this nice air-conditioned bushel basket where we're hiding our light. I heard a preacher say that, man, that brought conviction to me. When he was praying to God in his own church and he said, Lord, as we pray inside our bushel, I went, Oh my goodness, what a declaration that he just made before God in front of a bunch of preachers that we're inside the bushel basket. We're not out there sharing our light when we're in here so much. So so when we get full arms, there's a temptation to consume it on ourselves or to save it or do something other with it. Some people don't carry their bread so well. So here's the deal. I mean, I didn't, I didn't make this up. God said it. He's got to live with it. He gave me the bread to feed who? Yeah, my friend, not me. To give it away. Here, you can have it. If you need it, you take it. It's yours. God gave it to me to give to you. Now, I would be tempted to pinch off a little bit before I gave it to him, right? So that's why full arms is a need, uh, another incentive to pray. But let me, I want to ask you a question. Now, I don't know if this is in your notes or not, maybe. The, the second night, Larry comes. Not Larry in the church. Another friend of mine named Larry. And Larry comes and he knocks on the door and says, Man, car broke down. Need a place to stay. <laughs> All right, come on in. Dude, I'm hungry. You got anything? No. Am I going to go back to John's house and ask for bread again? Yes. Exactly. Yes. You see, our human thinking, we go, oh, I can't bother him again. He already gave me that. I, I, I don't want to ask him again. Yeah, he wants you to. He, second night, go back again and again. Ask and keep on asking. Seek, keep on seeking. Knock, keep on knocking. We don't prevail in prayer because we quit. We just quit. We just don't pray. We don't keep praying. 
A heathen can get no from God. If, if you're praying and God says no or doesn't say anything, keep praying. Pray till he answers. Um, it's related to this. It's not in your notes. But Paul prayed three times that the thorn be removed from him. The troubling thing. And the third time God said, no, because my grace is sufficient for you. So when I always say that God always answers yes, here's what I mean. He'll either give you the thing you ask for because you ask the right thing, it glorifies God. Or he'll give you, he'll say, you know what, I'm not going to deliver you. I'm not going to give you the bread, but I'm going to give you my presence so you can endure the hunger. Now, I've messed up the metaphor because we're asking for bread for someone else, which is an incentive to pray. Don't pray for yourself, pray for others. And when God gives it to you, don't keep it because he didn't give it to you to keep, give it to others. I tell you all about my charismatic roommate and the $10. Back in the 70s, he drove a van. He was a hippie. And he drove a hippie van. And uh, it was early 80s by then. He was a holdover hippie. He's probably still a hippie. Um, And so anyway, he said he went to church. He was charismatic. Went to, you know, a holy roller, thumper, jumper, church, whatever you want to call it. A godly friend of mine. He's the guy I called and said, what can I do for you, my brother, to help my daughter? And I hadn't talked to him in 30 years. But he told me this story back when, when we were in school together. And he said he went to church and he had no gas to get home. So he rode to church on faith that somebody in that church would give him money to get gas to get home. And so he just told Lord, Lord, I only got enough gas to get to church. I don't have enough gas to get back home. I'm going to have to do something. So he goes to church. He said he's in church. The guy walks up and says, Brother, God told me to give this to you and put 10 bucks in his hand. And he said he went, thank you, Lord. And he said he got it right here and God said, whoa, what are you doing? I didn't give that to you to keep. He said, and he said it was two fives. He said, I want you to give five to that guy and five to that guy. He said, all right. So he was over and said, hey, God told me to give this to you. He goes over there, God told me to give that to you. And he gave it away. God gave him 10 bucks to get enough gas to get back home. And then God told him to give it away. So he said he was obedient. He said a few minutes later, God walks in and said, hey, brother, God told me to give this to you. and gave him a 20. And this time he went, Lord? He said, no, that one's for you. He said, thank you. He put it in his pocket. Went and got his gas. Listen, if you will give away what God gave you, he will give you more than you can consume, so you'll give it all away. God never gives us abundance to keep. He gives us abundance to share. And he only gives abundance to those who will share. Back to my mom. Why doesn't God let us be rich? I said, because he can't trust you with it. That was a God moment for me. Uh, I'm, not, I'm not a smart aleck to my mom, but that's the right answer. If God's not giving it to you, it might be because he can't trust you with it. So don't hold on to full arms of bread. My friend has need. There's an incentive. God says no. There's the, that's the big incentive to pray. Sounds discouraging, but it's actually like, oh, this is awesome. He's going to do even more. You, you say, that just doesn't make sense to me. Okay, I'll give you another Jesus illustration. Hey, Jesus, what? Mary and Martha sent me to tell you Lazarus is sick. Okay, thanks. Didn't move for four days. And then Jesus looks at the disciples and said, Okay, we're going to see Lazarus. He's gone to sleep. We've got to go wake him up. And he said, Well, Jesus, if he fell asleep, he's going to get better. So we don't really need to go. And he goes, No, no, you don't understand. I'm saying he died. I've got to go raise him from the dead. Let's go. And they go, and when they meet Martha first and then Mary, Lord, if you had been here, he wouldn't have died. I'm about, I am the resurrection of life. Mary, don't, why are you, you girls sweating it? I am the resurrection of the life. I'm in your presence. It's okay. When God says no, it's because he's going to do a bigger thing, a better thing. And then he raises Lazarus from the dead. 
Now, he could have showed up four days earlier and healed him. But because he was in fellowship with the Father, he knew God said, don't move, stay there. Yes, sir. And he obeyed the Father. And then he says, oh, the Father said, okay, go raise him from the dead. And he went. And so whenever God says no, you ought to get really excited because that means God's got something bigger, better, and more glorifying to him to do through you and in you. And if you really believe that, man, you'll keep praying. And then when God starts pouring out that blessing, don't walk around with full loaves of bread. Just give it away, give it away, give it away. 